Unfiltered. I'm Siddhartha Shivastava. And I'm Nick Jeans. This podcast, we share our insights from the cutting edge of health IT. All right, Siddhartha, I'm uh, I'm really excited to talk about synthetic data today. You know, I keep hearing about it. It keeps, uh, I keep seeing it uh, described in articles and so forth. It's on the Gardner hype cycle. It's, uh, it's, it's really we're we're peaking in terms of hype. And so uh, recently, I decided to do a little deeper analysis and a little deeper dive. I would not say I'm an expert by any stretch, but uh, I think I know just enough to be dangerous. <laughs> well, Nick, uh, given your enthusiasm, I also dug deeper into it. I'd also been hearing a lot about it, but never had really taken the time to um, understand it. So, of course, I reached out to some experts in this field, at least the people that I consider experts. So, uh, yeah, um, I think I know a little bit more, but uh, let's dig in. Okay, yeah, I'm excited about synthetic data because I think it solves a real frustration for, for health IT, for hospitals, just making it really easy, really safe to share patient data with third parties. And even even to share it internally uh, among colleagues and certainly among collaborators at other institutions. Right now, this is a huge headache. Uh, whether you want to uh, train some algorithms, some new AI or machine learning algorithms on patient data for detecting clinical conditions like sepsis or other things, if you want to uh, trial a new drug or or try to identify a cohort of patients, uh, just even estimate the size of a cohort of patients uh, that might benefit from a new therapy or something. Right now, this is a process. It's a headache. And it it sort of should be, it shouldn't be that easy to to share massive amounts of of private data, protected health data. Um, But it is a huge bureaucracy and people um, have to jump through a lot of hoops, fill out forms, meet with committees. it's, uh, it's, it's an issue. And whenever someone says, like, I've got a de-identified data set, I always take that with a grain of salt. It is, it is still too easy, too risky to kind of share that information uh, because it, there are all these examples of people re-identifying that information, uh, you know, third parties and, and hackers and so forth that can uh, take data that you think is de-identified and actually find the, the real patients in it. So uh, th- this... Synthetic data could be a real boon for, for these headaches and frustrations. Yeah, no, that is definitely sort of true. I've heard many of our analytics colleagues talk about how uh, easy it is to reverse engineer the identity of people in de-identified data sets. Now, you know, just to get things rolling and maybe for some of our audience members' benefits, Nick, can you describe what synthetic data is in the context of healthcare? I mean, I understand in the financial context for fraud detection and so on, because they never have enough fraud detection cases. So it's good to manufacture synthetic fraud cases and run it through their systems to test it. But what does it mean in the healthcare context? Yeah, it, it's uh, similarly sort of uh, made up data. It's made up patient demographics age, gender, uh, you know, ethnicity, race, et cetera, made up timestamps so that, uh, you know, the dates of hospitalizations are completely uh, generated. They're, they're not uh, de-identified. It's not like something is masked or hashed. It's just completely synthetically generated. The medications are real. The diagnoses are real. The lab values could be real. Um, but uh, but the, the actual names and uh, characteristics of the patients are, are artificial. Um, 
And there are many use cases for synthetic data and each of them, like they'll, they'll take a different approach for each kind of use case. And based on the query that you need and the features of interest, they will uh, generate, uh, they will take different steps to generate a, a synthetic data population. You could say that the, the data generator is sort of inspired by the real world uh, and constrained to make the values, you know, make sense and, and be plausible, but it, it's made up in a very focused way. Um, think about it in terms of like your, your data warehouse for your hospital. It's got hundreds of thousands or millions of patients. Uh, a synthetic data set would like at the aggregate level, at the high level, it would still have the same number of diabetics and the same number of uh, elderly patients, the same number of uh, different ethnicities, races and so forth. But at the granular level, at the level of the individual, there would be a lot of uh, made up uh, individuals that just in aggregate, uh, you know, had the same the same statistical significance as, as the real world counterpart. Interesting. Now, how does it, and you know, maybe to get a little bit deeper or geeky, so to say, yeah. into it, but how does it get created? Like what's a generator behind that? Is that like just mashing up of different information, throwing everything into a big pile and then like throwing it in the air and see how it sort of lands. Mm-hmm. Of course, I'm being, I'm dramatizing the situation a little bit, but, uh, Talk a little bit about the generation process, Nick. Yeah, the the, the big factor is um, uh, really sampling uh, the real data and and getting you know the right level of detail uh, so that you can accurately create a synthetic set that just has the right aspect of truthiness to the real set. Um, and it's really it becomes this issue of signal and noise. If you oversample that data, you end up capturing a lot of noise and you end up potentially capturing some identifying info. Like if your, if your population, uh, hospital population has just, you know, one patient that's eight feet tall or something like that, then, uh, if you sample that closely or, or that precisely, then, then your synthetic data set will also have just one patient of that characteristic and, and could potentially be identified. Things like that, uh, are, are the, the risk of oversampling. Undersampling means you sort of miss some key details, you miss some signal, and you might not have the detail you want to be able to successfully use that data for for whatever your use case may be. Interesting. Now, um, as you were describing things earlier, you know there were a few things that sort of a few words <laughs> that mm-hmm. caught my attention. One was the made up part of it. So, so clearly, you know the the when you hear the word synthetic. You know, it's it seems to people that it's not real, and while you know that is the the real value here, the skeptical mind has to veer off and think that it may not be representative of a real patient. So, Nick, can you talk a little bit about you know how the creators of synthetic data kind of ensure that it stays true to a real patient scenario? So, of course, you know the easy example to provide here is that there is no pregnant man situation that arises just because the way it was generated, as you described it earlier, um, you know, that the algorithm does not, um, is not able to distinguish between genders. And then there you have it, a pregnant man or some sort of crazy situation like that. Yeah, no, great question. And it's key. Sampling is not enough. Uh, you really need to preserve the relationships between all the different data points that you'll be collecting and generating. You need physiologic plausibility uh, for a pregnant man. That's a great example. You also you want your 
patients with diabetes to have a higher blood sugar. You want your patients with hypertension to have uh, high blood pressure. All these correspondence between medical history and lab values and vital signs and, and so forth, they all have to, uh, to make sense. And, um, you know, we can sort of trust that the algorithms will, dis- will discover these relationships and faithfully reproduce them. Um, vendors do make a lot of pro- promises that, that, you know, they'll do that. Um, I, I guess the proof is really in the pudding. And uh, there are so many relationships that it, it seems hard to kind of uh, trust but not verify. So uh, if I was, you know, we, we want these data sets to be representative of authentic data. And uh, I think there's just really got to end up being a lot of verification involved uh, to make sure that you don't end up with a pregnant man or any kind of implausible sort of scenario. Yeah, you know, and I think that makes sense. I mean, this doesn't have to be perfect on day one, as long as there's like a good promise for what it can do um, and, 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 and build up from there. I think that that's still fine. You don't have yeah. to, you know, put it to uh, a, a very, very high bar. I, I guess I'll just say like in the, the papers I've read, uh, you know, I gravitate toward the peer reviewed literature first and, uh, I would love to see like some data sets made publicly available. You know, a lot of these companies are partnering with academics and publishing saying like, look, we, we trained an AI algorithm on a synthetic data set and then applied it to a real world algorithm. And it worked great. We were able to detect sepsis in this uh, real population, even though we trained the algorithm on fake patients. And to that, I'd say like, great, congratulations, please share your synthetic data set. So I could, you know, you know, put it through its paces myself. Uh, or, or, you know, if you made a, a dashboard for like a public health issue, uh, like a infection rates in some community, share your synthetic data set so that you, we can see that it is as robust as, as you say it is, and that it's not identifiable, that we can't, uh, you know, go in and kind of uh, figure out who that eight foot patient is. Um, that, that kind of stuff. I haven't seen a lot of examples of that yet. And so it, it makes me a little skeptical or a little suspicious. Yeah, no, I, I think that that is true. I mean, um, we've seen this in the world of you know AI and machine learning, you know, with deep learning models where it's just a black box and there's no uh, you know transparency into how things are generated. And I think that kind of scrutiny is is definitely needed. But then again, I will sort of you know argue that it shouldn't be applicable for all use cases because in some use cases it just works. Um, you know, I've as I was reading through the examples, you know, the one example that popped up also was around financial projections. You know, here you're not impacting patient lives, but at least a, a CFO or someone in the finance department can at least start creating synthetic data and say, well, what if we have certain kinds of patients, uh, you know, come into our hospital, like, you know, people with, say, uh, more uh, cancer care of a certain type or, you know, more uh, older population or younger and so on. And then they, that can help them with certain projections to say, well, do we need to hire more nurses that are experts in cancer care or there are more nurses that can deal with sort of a certain kind of older patient or younger patients and so on. So I think there's value there that 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 that, that applies. Yeah, I, I, it sounds good. But I think once you're ready to start 
committing resources once you're ready to start hiring people because of a projection made with synthetic data or, or you're, you're ready to, uh, you know, close a department or something, <laughs> then you got to ask yourself, like, are you so happy with the synthetic data that you would make these decisions, these potentially impactful decisions, or, or would you want to just test it on real authentic patients first? And, and at that point, it's like, well, sure, it's a headache, to uh, to get this uh, authentic data sets and uh, jump through all the bureaucratic hoops, but it's also a headache to kind of verify and validate your synthetic data and make sure that the relationships are all preserved and it faithfully mimics the the real world data set. So maybe you're just trading one headache for another, and it's it's worth it to kind of just study the, the authentic data instead. That's uh, that would be my my counterexample. Yeah, no, I think I think I fair fair point, but uh, you know, let's uh, knock a little bit of the industry that you know you and I love uh, a lot. You know, the healthcare industry. You know, we we generally have a high degree of skepticism when it comes to new ideas and disruptive things. You know, we kind of tend to put this very high bar for innovative things. Um, I mean, take uh, all the work in AI and ML. You know, uh, you know, on predictive yeah. analytics and so on. And I know some of it is you know, still being tested out and it has to prove uh, its, its, uh, its time here and the, the evaluations that it comes up with. But, you know, and I would put this, this synthetic data in the same field. Yes, it's, you know, let's say sort of kind of new. Yes, it's not being tested, but let's not, you know, compare it against tens of thousands or at least thousands of years of real patient data that has been generated and journaled and so on. Let's give it a time to breathe and evolve and find the right use cases um, mm-hmm. and not, you know, just say, well, you know, it, it needs a high degree of sort of evidence. So, so let's, uh, let's, let's knock yeah. them down a little bit and encourage the industry. Well, you're right. And it's great you brought up uh, AI and ML because uh, there's a, real risk of bias in those in those fields that the algorithm will pick up on on something yeah. that uh you know some aspect of human behavior provider decisions that like uh you know we don't want to replicate or we don't want to uh encourage and the same possibility exists with uh, synthetic data too that it's we're not actually capturing uh just the the patient attributes, but we're capturing aspects of data collection or data availability that that are uh, you know reflect bias, and um, and then we end up enshrining uh, bad behaviors that we don't want to. Um, so it, it's it's a it's a risk, and it's another level of abstraction. You know, to, we're here talking today about running machine learning algorithms on synthetic data, it's like two degrees of uh, abstraction from the, the bedside, <laughs> the, the doctor-patient relationship that we're trying to, to preserve and encourage. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, uh, it's, uh, it's that time of the podcast when we take a leap of faith and make predictions. Um, so, so thank you, Nick, for bringing this topic up for discussion. I definitely learned a lot uh, and I got a chance to talk to some experts in this area and feel like I, I know a lot more about it, but I really don't feel confident enough to make predictions on this thing. So I'll kind of let you go out on a limb and do that. Now, to, to kind of spur that a little bit, you know, do you think that there will be significant growth here? You know, will okay. the FDA incorporate this into their clinical trials and allow for that? Will there be a lot of future research that's done in this area? Maybe better collaboration between hospitals and pharma and startups mm-hmm. using synthetic data? Go for it. Yeah. Well, thanks. I, I do 
like I feel optimistic in the long term, but I, I think in the in terms of the Gartner hype cycle, I think we are headed for the trough of disillusionment. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is the my sense of where things are right now. I don't, I don't think the FDA anytime soon, anytime in the next few years, is going to start accepting synthetic data for control groups. Uh, I think that's uh, uh, look. I, I don't have any insider info or anything like that. It just it just seems like uh, implausible, um, and. I, I still have significant questions about the need for human curation of synthetic data. Like the, these vendors make it sound like it is super easy. You just give us your authentic data and we'll, we'll just press a few buttons and give you synthetic data. I, they make it sound like it's the kind of thing that you can just do in a matter of minutes or hours. Uh, in truth, I think it's the kind of thing that would probably need a lot of back and forth and a lot of verification and, and evaluation and iteration and again, the humans pouring over the numbers to kind of look for the, the that the relationships were maintained. Maybe I'm wrong, um, but uh, if the if the vendors make it sound so easy, then I'm sort of I would be excited to try some of these self service tools. Like there are, uh, MIT has built a, a repository of synthetic data generation tools. Even on Python, you can start installing some tools to kind of generate synthetic data. If the vendors make it sound so easy to do, then it's probably easy enough for uh for your own it department to start <laughs> implementing uh, itself so why would you need these vendors if you could just uh plug in these tools and uh, file a ticket with your help desk uh and even even if it's not turnkey solution it's, it's something you could probably tweak with your it department so my predictions yeah no fda um anytime soon and uh i just don't believe the market can sustain quite so many uh, vendors for, uh, for creating synthetic data. So I am much more bullish on the self-service tools than I am on uh, an industry full of synthetic data vendors. That sounds good. Uh, something tells me that this is not, not the last time we're talking about this. Uh, I can already start imagining some guests and perhaps even a vendor that we can bring in to talk about this and, and see what our audience thinks about that. But uh, thanks a lot, Nick. Uh, it was good chatting as always. And all right, folks, that's it for this week's Digital Health Unfiltered. That's it for this week. Please join us again next time on Digital Health Unfiltered. Please note that the views presented in this podcast are not to be construed as the views of Mount Sinai Health System or the Hospital for Special Surgery or any of its affiliates.